This is Dom Bettinelli, the CEO of SQPN, with a brief but very important message. For more than a decade, SQPN has produced the Catholic faith and pop culture podcasts that you love. We're a nonprofit organization, so it's only your generosity that lets us carry out our mission. We haven't run a fundraiser in two years, and that's why we need to ask for your help right now. Please make a pledge of whatever amount you can afford to help us continue providing your favorite podcasts, as well as exciting new ones we have planned. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give. Thank you for your generosity. May we hear from you today? You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 105. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Brave hearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position universe. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Ta-da! She'll be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series Doctor Who. And today we're discussing, very appropriately, the 11th Doctor Christmas special, A Christmas Carol. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, yeah. everyone. Yes. As as this show releases, it is Christmas Eve 2018. And uh, we wish all of you a very Merry Christmas. Um, and hopefully and to, quote, to quote Tiny Tim, God blesses everyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, and very appropriate for this episode. So we decided to go back since there isn't going to be a 13th Doctor Christmas special this year. Uh, it uh, They've moved the special to new year's day and we'll be doing a special episode on that but uh coming up next week next week um mm-hmm. but so this one we wanted to do uh the a christmas card but first jimmy uh do you have a message for the listeners yeah so we're right down to the end of our giving campaign we haven't run one in two years but starquest really needs to hear from you uh this year we reinvigorated the network we created a whole bunch of new podcasts including let's talk and secrets of star trek and jimmy aiken's mysterious world and we have others that are uh coming as well we stepped out in faith that once people saw the quality of these podcasts that they would be willing to support them and so now it's time for us to ask you to do that some people have been responding which is so great thank you so much for your generosity mm-hmm. we're not where we need to be though we need to hear from more people so please go to sqpn.com/give g i v e and either make a one time donation or become one of our uh regular monthly patreon supporters we have some lovely thank you gifts we'd like to send you even themed after your favorite shows so you know you can pick what you'd like We'd love to send these things to you, but we do need to hear from you if we're going to keep going and producing all these podcasts. We have with new podcasts, we have new costs associated with editing and hosting and all those kinds of things. So we do need to hear from you uh, or we will have to cut back. The number is uh, the um, place to go is sqpn.com slash give. Once again, it's sqpn.com 
slash give. This is the season of giving. Uh, We're just about up to Christmas, which, of course, is the anniversary of God's greatest gift to us, his own son. So please, we'd ask you to reciprocate in a spirit of giving by supporting StarQuest and its effort to draw people closer to God by engaging pop culture. So please go to sqpn.com slash give. Since this is a podcast, you could pause right now and doing do it while you're thinking about it. Um, we'd really appreciate it. And thank you so much for your generosity and Merry Christmas. Thank you, Jimmy. So uh, as we as we mentioned, we're we're talking about uh, the Christmas Carol. This was the 2010 uh, Doctor Who Christmas special. It aired on Christmas Day. Um, it features Matt Smith, the Eleventh Doctor, and this was just to kind of place it in time. Was the first episode of the second season. Although it's sort of the the la- the previous episode was in June of 2010. The next episode will be in April of 2011. So there's a this kind of falls in this big gap area here. Um, and, and I am so excited to talk about this one because this is my favorite of all of the right. Doctor Who Christmas specials. To my mind, it is far and above superior to the others. And um, and it's also one of my favorite episodes of Doctor Who ever. So I'm yeah. really happy to talk yeah. about this. And far superior I, to that other Matt Smith <laughs> Christmas special uh, based on the line that which in the wardrobe. Oh, Yeah. Incidentally, I'd also (laughs) note it's somewhat ironic that I would like this one so much because I'm not a fan of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't like it in part because it – I think it's insufficiently religious Mm -hmm. that it um, is kind of paved the way for the modern secular true meaning of Christmas special where the true meaning of Christmas turns out to be something other than Christ. Right. Um, Which, you know, admittedly, you see in this special, I would argue. But yeah. you, you do. But what I like here, I mean, taking this as a Doctor Who episode, right. I think it totally works. I, I Using time travel to appropriate mm-hmm. the ghost of Christmas past, present and future and the psychological journey that Kazdan yeah. Sardik goes on in this and, and the dialogue and the acting, all of that just totally works. Yeah. So even though I'm not a fan of the source material, I really am a fan of this episode. And, and we'll, we'll talk about it obviously later, but I do like the twist at the end with the ghost of the future. Right. Christmas mm-hmm. future. I do. So, like that. I know that that's very, very nice. Totally twist. awesome. So let's let's kind of remind folks what this episode was about. So we have uh, Amy and Rory had just been married. This is where we yep. where we begin. And. They're on their honeymoon and they're trapped on a crashing space liner. And the only way that the 11th Doctor can rescue them is to save the soul of a lonely old miser. But is Kazran Sardik, the richest man in Sardik Town, beyond redemption? And what is lurking in the fogs of Christmas Eve? Um, so t- to my mind, I-, I agree with you, Jimmy. This is the fun kind of repartee and wit that I enjoyed from the Matt Smith era. This is Moffat, mm-hmm. I think, at his best. This yeah. um, it, this is arguably one of Moffat's best episodes that he wrote. I mean, yeah. you yes. argue that up there time. with Blink. Yes. Yeah. The, the dialogue snaps. I mean, this is this is the, the, the some of the best dialogue from the Doctor. Um, so this was the show's sixth Christmas special since its revival. And the first Christmas special starring Matt Smith as the Doctor uh, it was the first BBC Wales Christmas special, uh, neither written by Russell T. Davies nor starring David Tennant. So even the first mm-hmm. one uh, was Tennant's uh, coming in as the uh, the new doctor. His post-regeneration episode was yes. the first Christmas episode. Yeah. Now, Kazrin Sardik, the elder Sardik, is played by Sir Michael Gambon, 
who mm-hmm. plays as people might recognize him as Dumbledore in the Harry Potter movies. The the, the, the second Dumbledore. The second, second. second Dumbledore, right? Um, we have a small hint about Amy's pregnancy. We find out that later on in the season that in the in the second season that Amy's pregnant. Uh, but so when but when the Doctor scans the crashing ship, he he gets the life signs one more than there are actual people on board because it counts the baby in Amy's womb. Ooh, which, which is a very I interesting pro life little bit of. You know, I don't want to get you political, but a little bit of uh, life affirming uh, exactly. information there, given that it's yeah. Christmas. Um, and a spoiler about River Song for people <laughs> exactly. who would know later. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, we have um, Abigail's song that she sings at the end mentions silence several times, which is a yeah. sort of reference mm-hmm. forward. Um, and as you mentioned, Jimmy, this is. Sort of based on Christmas, uh, Dickens A Christmas Carol. It's Moffat said before it had that this episode would be the most, quote, Christmassy Christmas special ever and said it's all your favorite Christmas movies at once in an hour with monsters and the doctor and honeymoon um, <laughs> and excluding the little fish eaten by a shark. It's the first Christmas special without a character's death. Uh, and and then another little point, I, I'm just going to throw these all out there up front so we can talk about the episode uh, all together. But um, mm-hmm. it. Since Amy was replaced with a ganger in the following season, if you remember that uh, Amy's not really a, a duplicate, a, right? A, sort yeah. of a, a, a duplicate um, that's connected to her mentally. This is presumably the last episode to feature the actual Amy Pond until the end of the episode, the almost people. So mm-hmm. as you, as you go into the second season, that's, that's something to keep in mind. Um, I thought it was interesting that we have another space liner going down as the Christmas special because the, the yeah, 2007 one was the voyage of the damned. Yes. Ti- yeah. The Titanic, the which, space Titanic, which also featured an actual singer, someone whose profession is yep. a singer, uh, an actress in the, in the movie. That one had Kylie Minogue. This one has, um, Oh, oh gosh, I forgot it off the top of my head, but Catherine Perkins, I think it is, um, mm-hmm. who is a classical singer. Uh, that's what she's known as. Uh, Jenkins, Catherine Jenkins. Uh, and this was her first acting role. She'd previously yes. appeared in things as a singer, but not as an actress. And she does a great job. So, yeah. Um, so in the uh, in the open, we have the 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 captain of the starship declare Christmas is canceled. Yeah. <laughs> Which is such a uh, trope. Um, and then yep. Amy and Rory show up on the bridge and there, you know, a little bit of throwback to a, you know, Rory's wearing the uh, Roman centurion outfit from the Pandorica opens. Amy is wearing mm-hmm. the uh, singing Police telegram. Kiss-a-gram. Yeah. The, the kissogram uh, outfit. Um, <laughs> and they just keep making references to it's their honeymoon. And it's just it'll, it'll, always just a fun. bit of fun. Yes. Um, that was a little uncomfortable. And then uh, for everyone, including them. And then uh, Amy whispers as she's calling the doctor just this once. Don't be late, which, of course, is a reference to a callback. Yeah. The, the 11th hour. Right. Exactly. The 11th hour when he was late by several decades um, or at least one decade. Then and we have this voiceover, which is Carson Car- uh, Sardek. As um, we see a steampunk future Dickensian environment. Yes. Right. He says, on every world, wherever people are, in the deepest part of the winter, at the exact midpoint, everybody stops and turns and hugs, as if to say, well done. Well done, everyone. We're halfway out of the dark. Back on Earth, we called this Christmas or the winter solstice. On this world, the first settlers called it the Crystal Feast. This is my problem with Doctor Who Christmas specials, is that mm-hmm. they actually, as you said before, Jimmy, they strip 
Christ out of Christmas. They re- completely removed the whole meaning of Christmas and just turned it into uh, a, a, a midwinter holiday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now they do it though. And, and, and I agree, but they actually do it in a, in a less problematic way to my mind than American television mm-hmm. does. Um, because you will have actual Christmas carols that are religious in a yeah. British Christmas special. I mean, we get mm-hmm. silent night, we get, um, bleak Christ the Savior is born. We yeah. get in the bleak midwinter. We get these things that are yeah. actually um, that mention Christ in the lyrics on the air. Whereas in America, it's so, uh, oh, you know, we can't even mention Jesus in a Christmas special on television right. because someone might be offended. We can only sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman. Right. And Jingle Bells. In fact, yeah. we even get to the point where they don't even mention Christmas. It's just holiday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you mentioned in the bleak midwinter, however, they did make a change to the song that it so it doesn't mention Jesus by name. Oh, really? Because I was I was listening to the lyric or watching the lyrics as I was listening to it the second time I watched the uh, episode and lo- verse two ends a stable place suffice the Lord God almighty Jesus Christ. They removed that for the ending of verse three, which is fall down before the ox and ass and camel, which adore. It, they remove that well, section but, about Jesus altogether from that song. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful, a, if you've seen the hymn, if you know the hymn, it's a beautiful carol, oh yeah. but they change it just enough so they don't actually say that the Lord God Almighty Jesus Christ in the episode. Yeah, well, it's not that they're changing it. It's just they edit over it. It's not like they rewrite the lyrics to say something completely different. They, they, and they do it. mention they do mention Jesus in in hymns we hear elsewhere in the episode yeah. no they do so, just, so that, that i would particular one i noticed that they they, they just changed the hymn just enough it, it's the all part of the same hymn but yeah. they change it just enough i i it, wouldn't i wouldn't characterize it as changing the hymn it's just the way they edit um they just don't include that verse <clears throat> for time reasons because of where no, they need to get you're, you're 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 being a little more generous than i am because <laughs> it, 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 the, the way it, way it fit together is it was the same parts of the verses they would line up if you saw them on music just mm. this part was moved up so anyways you're, you're being a little more generous than i am on that one but yeah. <laughs> incidentally i as an english country dance caller i call a dan- an english country dance called in the bleak midwinter after that uh after that carol interesting hmm. Uh, I have to say the In the Bleak Midwinter is one of my favorite carols uh, of all time. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I love hearing uh, Catherine per- uh, Jenkins sing this in this one. She's oh, it's beautiful. An amazing voice. Uh, but we'll get to that. Uh, so we started with um, Catherine Sardik, the richest man in town. He's he's sort of like uh, this Mr. Is, Potter, Mr. Potter. Yes. In Potter yep. in Potterville, uh, Potter. <laughs> he makes loans. And, and instead of uh, taking goods as security he takes people as collateral for uh for the loan and puts them in suspended animation right yeah which is also a bit of a reference to to dickens which is when you know because at one point um scrooge says oh we put the excess population into poor houses uh surplus population right where uh sardic puts the surplus population into suspended animation um so interesting connection um, and apparently he's powerful enough to tell the president of this world uh, what to do and mean enough to not care about a ship of 4000 people crashing and uh, mm-hmm. presumably dying uh, in the crash. Uh, so and then we have uh, the doctor who has determined that uh, these clouds that are that that the, that are 
they're crystal clouds or ice crystal clouds uh, that the ship is flying through and can't lock on. It can't land, whatever. It's some sort of uh, techno mumbo jumbo where it can't land uh, through the clouds because this device is creating a barrier of some sort. And that device is coming from Kazrin Sardik's home. And it's a it's a device that only he controls. So the doctor shows up and comes down the chimney like Santa. which is really nice animated mantic <laughs> yes matt yeah. smith doing a santa claus yes it was very good i've always wanted to do that he says uh, um and then he uh, he shows a I, I love I, I love how in this scene he then he's like talking to the little tiny tim equivalent right uh, mm-hmm. from the family and is is talking as if Santa Claus or Jeff, as I always call him, yeah. is real. Yeah. And and he like turns to the kid and says, keep the faith, stay off the naughtiness. <laughs> yeah. That is a good line. That is a good line. Uh, and as we'll see with uh, the 12th Doctor, uh, this is uh, St. Nick Israel. Uh, so we uh, we ha- the doctor also in this scene shows a picture of himself with Santa and Albert Einstein at Frank Sinatra's hunting lodge. Which comes up later when the Doctor Abigail and Sardik are traveling in the past. They end up at Frank Sinatra's yep. house. So I yeah. thought that was a, a nice little connection there. Um, but, we but, have that. We have the line again of you know uh, that the person in the the ice isn't. Is, oh, this she's unimportant. Well, that's oh, right. Yeah. Nine hundred years of time and space, and I haven't met anybody unimportant. Exactly. Yeah, this this is one of my favorite lines in all of Doctor Who, where Sardik says, "Oh, that's nobody important," and Matt Smith. Uh, says nobody important. Blimey, that's amazing. Do you know in nine hundred years of time and space, I've never met anyone who wasn't important before. <laughs> and I just, I, I just love that. That is so awesome. Right. One thing that is less awesome is the fact he's so impressed with these cloud. Ooh, clouds made of ice. Ooh, I like that. And it's like, um. That's like cirrus clouds. We have those on Earth. Yeah, the, yeah. It's so high up in the air that the little particles of water freeze and become ice. Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, they could have, yeah, they could have made it. They, I mean, they're obviously not quite the same thing, but they don't make yep. that explicit. So that's that's unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, so the family that's there is Abigail's family. We'll meet Abigail. A bit. She's the girl in the frozen in the suspended animation. And they're trying to get her released for Christmas uh, Day. They, we'll bring it right back. And Sardik is hearing none of it uh, um, here. And uh, and at this moment, after he says that uh, Abigail's not important at all, um, this is after that. It was when the doctor says, "Whatever happens tonight, you bring on yourself." Which is very that you get. I mean, everything yeah. is going to be Christmas Carol references, but uh, um, and it, it as the he kicks out the family, uh, the boy picks up some of the uh, ashes or a, a little piece of coal that that oh, Matt Smith yeah, knocked out of coal. the fireplace and throws it at Sardik and beans him off the head. And Sardik rushes over. And he's about to, you know, really smack Slap the kid. The, one the kid, yeah, and. Uh, he didn't because he remembered his own father, who mm-hmm. played also by Michael Gambon, uh, who used to hit him. And and that is the thing that that makes the doctor realize that Sardik is, as he says, halfway out of the dark. Christmas yeah. is says, very much he, you. Yeah. So, halfway out of the dark, which then he will turn that line on himself at the end. Right. Um. So that was really cool. There's there's so much that I really like in this scene uh, on the emotional level, but it, the dialogue just sparkles yes. in this scene. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it goes by incredibly fast, like when 
when the doctor is looking at the machine that controls the cloud layer, it looks like a big organ, you know, mm-hmm. um, but tricked out with all this steampunk stuff. And uh, the and he's like just running his fingers over it in delight and says, "Ooh, big flashy light things have me written all over them. Well, not actually, but give me time and a crayon. Yeah, and and then um uh when he's starting to talk to sardic seriously he says there are four thousand and three people i won't allow to die tonight do you know where that puts you and he says where four thousand four and and then sardic slaps him back and says "Ooh." Was that a sort of threaty thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's where the doctor says, remember, you brought it on your, yourself. Yeah. Whatever happens well, and the, tonight. And the, funny, the funny part is it's it almost was like an anti-threat because the doctor says, you know, these 4,003 people aren't going. I'm not going to let them die. And by the way, yeah. you're number 4,004 that I'm not going to let die tonight. Right. Or exactly. The, but the it goes both ways. So the implication yeah. is I would let you die. Right. Exactly. Uh, and then once the, once the family is kicked out, the doctor kind of stays behind and Sardik says, what? What do you want? And the doctor says, a simple life. But you didn't hit the boy. Like, it's sort of like one of those like yeah. little, uh, yeah. uh, uh, not really what Sardik was asking. I just want a simple life. Uh, it's also not really what the doctor wants because he could have that. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, th- uh, we then we then get to see something we've as far as I can remember, we've only seen once before. Because the doctor realizes he's missing something and wants to know what it is. And he replays his memory and we see things in his memory in this kind of rapid, jumpy uh, editing sequence. Right. Which we didn't which he didn't actually focus on the first time through. He did the same thing in the 11th hour when he identified the human form of prisoner zero and he just reran his memory and focused on different things in it. And he does that here too. It's actually kind of a lot like what Sherlock does in the Sherlock series. Um, But we, so we've seen the doctor do that before, but only once as far as I remember. And this is the only other time he does it. That's something that Stephen Moffat obviously likes as an effect. And it is it is a practical effect for, you know, trying to you know replay your memory, so to speak. Yes. And, and trying to remember the things that are go- that you've saw- seen. Yeah, that is a that is that's a good um, metaphor for that. So it also we- communicates the alienness of the doctor. Right. Uh, so the doctor uh, ends up outside after he talks to Amy, uh, tells her I'm working on it. And they uh, they go outside and. He runs into a Benjamin, which is the the dad from that little family uh, that was uh, that the Sardik had thrown out. He's the uh, the um, not Tiny Tim's dad um, of this Bob Cratchit. Bob Cratchit of this uh, story, mm-hmm. and he says, and he's like, I've never seen anybody stand up to Mister Sardik like that. And then he go, by the way, um, fog's thick tonight. Yeah, there's a fish warning. Better get inside. <laughs> the doc's like. Fish? <laughs> what do you mean yeah. fish warning? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it turns out uh, that uh, there is uh, the fish on this world can swim through the mist. Um, you know, don't look too closely at the at, this, yeah. at they're, the whole thing. Sky fish. Well, yeah. they do provide a, a sort of explanation where the doctor notices that the the fog carries a slight electrical charge, and he wonders to himself if that's how the fish can fly. Right. 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 And and so we see these little fish. Um, and I like that. Oh, by the way, by the way, spiders can fly in exactly that way. Oh, yes. The spider. Um, yeah. And and so, you know, it is although I don't know that I don't think they knew that back when they made this special. Um, but there are creatures that are capable of flying on electrical currents in the air. 
right. <laughs> Flying spiders, folks. Just think of that for a little while. I wonder, I wonder if it includes <laughs> the, the, the spiders the doctor was talking about in the in the cabinet. <laughs> the face oh, spiders. The face spiders. <laughs> face spiders. Or the giant spiders of the uh, 13th Doctor's time. So, <laughs> in, in Sheffield. <laughs> or the giant spiders of the third Doctor's time. Right, right. The planet of the spiders. So, um, one of the things I like is, is that we have like this sort of shadow that goes behind the Doctor that suggests the the shark. Uh, mm-hmm. That we will we'll later later encounter. I like that 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 sh- foreshadowing. And, and you do you do hear the dun? <laughs> you do yeah. just just real quick the, the little jaws stinger. Oh, the- oh, and and later when when they are confronting the shark and they're down in the uh, cryogenic chamber area with the fog, you see the fin of the shark <laughs> swimming through the fog, yeah. just like the jaws famous shot from Jaws. Yes, exactly. Yeah, what it's a great a great homage to Spielberg and John Williams. Um, yep. So the the music is playing um, Hosanna in Excelsis uh, over these speakers in the streets, uh, which reminds the doctor of Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And so the doctor decides to change Sardik's memories in order to change Sardik's... And his, his, his life. Right, his life, to, to change Sardik's personality, to make him more amenable, more compassionate, sympathetic, so that he will then be easier to get him to save the people uh on the on the uh the starliner uh so the um so he goes back in time and right. he's he's and to show sardic what's happening he 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 starts playing on the wall a video diary right that he says he got off yeah. a drive that uh Kazarin had made when he was a 12 year old boy Right. Right. And on Christmas Eve and his father comes in and he really wants to see a fish. But his father's saying, no, you're far too young. You can't do that. I'm going to have Mrs. Monavani come and babysit you. And he he slaps Sardik. And right. so we we they cut around it because of British television standards. And this is a Christmas episode of a children's show. So right. Right. you don't really want to see an actual father belting his son. But um. Yep. It's very clearly implied. And uh, so and and also Sardik Sr. is wearing a goatee. So that's how we know he's even more bad. Yes. Yep. Um, <laughs> Goatees are evil. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, then the doctor shows up in the past and he beams the TARDIS in right outside Sardik's window and comes in and says, I'm your new babysitter. By the, by the way, this is one of these episodes where the doctor has absolute precise control of the TARDIS. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Throughout this Repeatedly. episode. Yes. And, and really, that's characteristic of the Matt Smith era and the David Tennant era. It's the 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 TARDIS in classic in classic who tended to be re- unreliable most of the time. It gradually got better. It got his control of the TARDIS got really good in the new who era until the 13th Doctor, when it's now reverted to the chaotic way it originally was. Well, yep. he control it with the caveat that the TARDIS often takes the Doctor where he needs to Some, go, not sometimes. where he wants to go. Yeah. Um, so there, I like I how, like, I like how yeah. he uh, recovered the, the footage using quantum enfolding and a paperclip. <laughs> yeah, which <laughs> yes. is what you'd want for enfolding things. Yeah, of course. A paperclip exactly. was essential, yeah. actually. Uh, so the... So the Sardik remembers everything that's going on on screen while the doctor is standing there next to him talking about what he's watching. And then the doctor he yells at her finally, get out. And he says, OK, but I'll be back way back. And that's when the doctor shows up on the screen and he says, see, yep. back. 
Yeah. <laughs> Which is great. He's talking to him from the past. And, and, and we get nice meta moments where, you know, the doctor starts talking to the camera recording the video diary and young Kazran says, who are you talking to? And he's talking mm-hmm. to older Kazran. Yes. But he says, you. <laughs> <laughs> right. And he says that uh, Christmas passed. And then uh, he's now your past is going to change. It means your memories will, too. Um, and so he, so Sardik says, you know, it never happened. And then suddenly he realizes, you know, Don, dawns on his face, but it did. And so the doctor yeah. you know, tells tells young Sardik that he's going to be his babysitter tonight instead of Mrs. Montavani. And, and young Sardik is like challenging that as, uh, you know, you don't look like a babysitter. And he whips out, and I mentioned this in a recent episode, yeah. he whips out the psychic paper. This is one of my favorite psychic paper moments. And he says, I think you'll you, you'll find that I'm universally regarded as a responsible adult. Yes. And so, young Sardik looks at it and says, it's just wavy lines. And then the doctor looks at it and says, oh, yep, finally a lie too big. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Shorted it out. Shorted it out, yes. Uh, not a mature, even the psychic paper kid could, couldn't uh, deal with couldn't that. Couldn't defend that. Uh, so he says, oh, you're 12 years old, so we'll stay away from under the bed. But the cupboard, I love a big cupboard. And then he says, oh, do you know there's a thing called a face spider? It's just like a tiny baby's head with spider legs. And it's specifically evolved to scuttle up the backs of bedroom cupboards, which yeah, I probably shouldn't have mentioned. I mean, it's just like. What is the worst thing you could tell yeah. a kid? Let's tell him that. Oh, it, it gets worse. It was later than he says, oh, they're they're not in there. They're probably in your mattress. Yeah. He's, <laughs> it's when when uh, uh, when young Kazarin says, um, are there any face spiders in here? He says, oh, no, not this time of night. They'll all be asleep in your mattress. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so meanwhile, uh, they, they decide that they're going to. uh uh Catch some fish. You lure in some fish. So the doctor mm-hmm. sets up this elaborate lure of the, the sonic screwdriver on a string while they're in the cupboard. And, uh, and that's when he says about that, about the uh, the spiders. And, um, and but- by the way, notice it makes sense, even though the doctor, I guess, doesn't have a rational basis for this yet. It makes sense that you would use the sonic screwdriver as bait for these yep. skyfish because they're attracted to the vibrations of singing and noise and things like that. Mm-hmm. Right. I think maybe the doctor kind of figured that out when he saw the little fish around the speakers outside that were playing music. I'm going right. to guess that's where he got ah, that from. That could I, be. I did like the line where it's like uh, where they where the doctor you know tells Kazrin they're going to go for the fish and Kazrin says, "Aren't you going to tell me it's dangerous?" And the doctor says, "Dangerous? Come on, we're boys. And you know what boys say in the face of danger? What, mummy?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's such a great line. Another really good line. Um, so, and then there's this discussion in the cupboard about the bow ties. You know, what what is what kind of tie is that? A cool one. Why is it cool? And then, uh, and then it's it's very funny because at the end of that discussion, Sardik realizes he's wearing a bow tie. You know, mm-hmm. so the old Sardik. Because the doctor mm-hmm. wears one and it's cool. Like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I guess that's why I wear ties. Uh, just like the bow or bow ties. I mean, I just like, and, I like that moment. And in the coming sequences, we see the montage of Christmas episodes uh, or Christmas Eves. Young Sardik is dressed as the doctor in each case and is wearing a bow tie. Yes. Yep. yep. So uh, so we, we get we you know, we have the big shark come in. It's a very funny moment where they have this shark attack. We, you know, the reveal of the shark sky. There's sh- always the, a bigger fish. Yes. The sky. Right. <laughs> and the sky shark. And it's trying to get in at them. Uh, we have this, you know, the, it's it's coming through the door of the cupboard and the doctors. Half of the doctor's uh, sonic is been swallowed by the shark, which 
um, is going to be an important plot point for the resolution uh, right. of, the, of the episode. So the, the two halves of the Sonic are calling to each other to try to repair themselves. Right. The Sonic is very advanced and can uh, heal itself even when split in half. Um, <laughs> and uh, he's like, I, I, I'm going to we have three. Ch- what is it? Four chances to reach in and grab that Sonic. And he says, why four? Two hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, he says, I like I, "I've only got two goes, and then it's your turn." Yes, that's yeah. what it was. <laughs> well, I like the line before that where he goes, "What do you call it when something that doesn't have feet is is getting a running start?" <laughs> I didn't Going get back for that. A run, running start. Yeah. I didn't get that one. I, I, I do one of y'all understand that? Well, yeah, yeah, the shark was backing off to get a good running. Okay. start. I, th- I thought there but was it some have any feet, so you can't hear it. Tap, 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 tap as it's backing off. Yeah, I thought that might be wordplay based on some uh, British idiom that I wasn't familiar with. No, it's like a run up is is getting a running start. We would call it getting a running start. So it is a British idiom, uh, but for a phrase that we're familiar with as well. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. what do you call it if you had donor feet and you and you're taking a running start, and because you can't hear it running across the floor because it's flying (laughs) through the air silently. Uh, Okay. So that's what, they yeah, think that's like what, the Scooby Doo mysteries where they you know they're going to go through a door so they get about halfway down the hallway and throw yeah, their and, shoulder into it and of course right doesn't work but that's what the shark does so they uh they they make their way down into the uh, the vault the well to save the shark because the shark has been injured now yes. and they want to get it back up into the sky but the doctor says it wouldn't support it wouldn't survive the trip it needs a fully it needs a full life support system. Right. And uh, and the doctor kind of challenges, well, why are you trying to save it? It was trying to eat you. And 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 Kazrin says, well, it's only hungry. Like he's showing compassion for something, mm-hmm. despite the fact that it was following a natural urge to to eat him. And that is something the doctor wants to build on. So he's found Kazrin at a point in his life where if he builds on this, he can create a fully functioning, compassionate adult from this moment. And, and that's hmm. significant. So they go down to find a functioning life support system. Uh, which is, you know, as Kesner says, like an icebox. So they go down into the um, into the vault and that's where the surplus population is is kept. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it Sardik is is. And, and Sardik knows that Abigail Pettigrew yes. won't have a problem with this because she's got like a video testimonial message where she talks about fish and he can tell how much she likes the fish. So she won't have a problem with them taking her out of the box for a little bit to use it to save one of the fish. Right. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the uh, the shark has recovered and is now in the vault swimming around and they're running from it. And then they hear this beautiful singing, this amazing voice of uh, yeah. Catherine, Catherine Jenkins. Abigail sings in the bleak midwinter. Um, she's a she's a, so I was going to say she's a classical singer and recording artist. She was the biggest selling classical star in the UK in 2004. She's not an opera singer because she's never performed in an opera. So that, that was right. a distinction that uh, mm-hmm. her IMDb page made. And I thought I pointed out. Hmm. But, but she's um, got a number number of albums that have sold very well. Yes. Yes. Um, there's the in the, the sitting room where old Sardik is still watching the recording. Um, yeah. The portrait of his father suddenly is replaced with a portrait of Abigail, which yes. is indicates to us that Abigail has, you know, has now played played in his memory a vital role in his life has changed his life uh for the better and yeah. so the as the memories and history of of the older sardic changes um which is a nice little moment um so we they, they realize that uh, abigail is able to um her singing soothes the the, the beast uh, 
the mm-hmm. well, I forget what the, the old saying is. A uh, Sue's the savage brass, but it gets misremembered as Sue's the savage beast. Yes, exactly. Uh, and the doctor figures out. <laughs> I'm going to skip a bunch. Uh, they end up in a sleigh pulled by uh, instead of pulled by reindeer, it's pulled by a shark. <laughs> and it's, yeah. They're flying through the air with it. Um, and, and this is one of the things you just either have to accept in this episode or it's going to be a big problem for you. Right. It right. was just kind of a fun scene, I mean, yes. which is all it's meant to be. But but let's back up a little bit because he so they take the shark up to the sky and somehow they've gotten this huge, enormous shark into this tiny little human sized ice box. Yes. Um, which makes no sense. Yes. But they, they let the shark go in the sky. So it goes swimming off among its its own kind. It's still got half of a sonic in it. That's going to be important. And the doctor notices that on the front of the cryogenic chamber, it's got um, a, a display. Yes. A, a kind of rotary display that kind of mm-hmm. counts down numbers. And it's got an eight on it. It has the number eight is with a bunch of zeros in front of it. And the doctor says, what's this about? And she, she she evades the question and says, oh, this number has to do with me, not the shark. And um, and she said and she the doctor introduces himself and she says, you're a doctor. Are you one of mine? And he right. says, why do you need a doctor? And then he gets distracted and they don't follow up on it. But this is our first indication that something medically is seriously wrong with uh, Abigail and the number eight is very important. And then when they return her, young Kazrin uh, promises out of the out of the blue that the doctor is going to come back every Christmas Eve. And Matt Smith is like, wait, no, I didn't say that. Oh, he promises. <laughs> and 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 they shut the door and we see the eight countdown to seven. Mm-hmm. And so, well, actually, we, we see them co- immediately open the door and it's a year later and they're wearing Santa hats and they 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 take Abigail out and th- th- then to have another Christmas Eve. And that's when they close the door and we see the eight count down to seven. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That, yes. Uh, that, I, I, I Maybe I skipped a little too much. So we have this a couple of nice moments where uh, they see the inside of the TARDIS. And they say it's bigger on the inside. And. Uh, the doctor says, yeah, it's the color. It really knocks the walls back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a good, yeah. good one. Uh, he says, shark in a box to go. Uh, when they go in the TARDIS, Abigail says, this is amazing. And the doctor says, nah, this is a transport. I keep amazing out here and opens the doors. I think the TARDIS is going to have a little hiccup or something after an insult like that. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <I know. laughs> uh, then uh, let's see. Uh, so. It's the second uh, Christmas Eve where they're they're cruising in uh, on the in the shark pulled carriage and they end up at um, at Abigail's sister's home um, in that present day. uh, Now, much younger. There is a bit of a continuity problem, which is um, the the boy, Tiny Tim, doesn't seem to age at all in between this time and the time when the. Sardic is elderly and and, and I would and assume Abigail's that's sister. a different character. Could I would assume that's a different character, oh, but okay. I could be mistaken. Yeah. Or maybe that's how I son. No, I, I think because what I what I thought was this was the one who was um the boy that we see when they when uh Abigail is take taken to their family's house um is the adult man that was standing there asking for Right, it's for a different character. It's Benjamin. It's adult Benjamin, yeah. even yeah. though he looks right. exactly like 
They, well, you got people this... playing their own father in this episode. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's so a little the, the kid. The yeah. kid. The kid that the tiny Tim character is not the same kid that that the doctor was doing the card, the card tricks, tricks with. with. Oh, yeah. it is different. That's yeah. the father. That's the father that was standing there. Is what I was reading online. It makes okay. sense to me. So Abigail's but, sister is um, the grandmother of the of the tiny Tim from the first scene. Okay. Yeah. By the by the way, note the um, and we skipped a little bit here. That's that's kind of neat. Every time in this montage, which is a really fun, yeah. wonderful montage, oh, yeah. um, every time they open the door to the um, to the ice cabinet, um, there the doctor and Kazrin are wearing a new item of Christmas clothing. Yes. So it looks the first time it's Santa hats. Right. And it keeps changing <clears throat> when they at one point they open the door and they're wearing scarves. Yes. Yeah. Really long scarves. And Kazrin's in particular looks like the fourth doctor's scarf. Yeah. And um, and it, it makes sense. It's, I mean, it's obviously an allusion to the fourth doctor, but it also makes sense because scarves are a kind of clothing you wear at Christmas time in the northern hemisphere. Well, yes. and, and speaking and of the counter. When, when, I was going to say, when they yeah. close the door, the counter says four. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Uh, yeah. So they they go to Egypt. They go to Paris. I mean, they go to all these amazing places on Earth, apparently. Uh, and and mm -hmm. older Kazrin is now in his life looking back at photos that previously didn't exist right. that he took on these trips. Yes, exactly. Uh, and now uh, the younger Kazrin has aged to be about the same age as Abigail. Uh, in one mm -hmm. year, apparently. Uh, well, in, no, in no, like, I mean, it's it's like four years, but we've been seeing the young Kaz, the 12 year old Kazrin. Yeah, actor, there's like and then three, three. Yeah. One year later, you grew up. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. You know, but that's that's kind of like you're so used to seeing someone and all of a sudden one day you realize, oh, you know, kind of like, a, well, I suppose like when you, you lost weight, Jimmy, you know, there are probably people who said, you oh, know, yeah. you saw you every, every day. It's like, oh, I can tell now that you've lost 30, 40, 50 pounds, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right, I, right. I saw people I hadn't seen in a year and it's like, what happened to you? Are you medically okay? Yes, this is deliberate. <laughs> this is right. good. So maybe that, that's what happened is, you know, she was so used to seeing him at a certain age. I was like, oh, now you're different. Uh, or so, they just had two actors to play the same character. Well, right. she can't really be finding 12-year-old Kazran hunky, so they needed to bring mm -hmm. in a new actor. Yes, that would have been awkward. So we have... Now, um, I mean, that would have been so Phantom Menace. <laughs> now, the thing, thing I'm surprised they don't mention is to her, basically, each Christmas Eve was like... She went in, she fell asleep, she woke up next Christmas Eve. She went in, she fell asleep, she woke up. You know, it's always yeah. time passing for her. Right. Yeah. So this is like a, a, a week of Christmas Eve for her. Yeah, right, right. And they uh, so I, so I, I kind of skipped. Yeah, you're right. I did skip ahead too much. So they go to her family's home. And this is where um, um, her sister and her brother-in-law and their son, who later is the, the grown man, uh, they are preparing for a uh, Christmas and they go in and they're, they determined to, they, well, we're going to have Christmas dinner tonight. And, uh, so there's this, these fun moments where the doctor's trying to do a card trick and, uh, it's always the wrong card. It's never the right card. Even when he, he tells the, the kid, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. And even when he pulls the card out of the sealed Christmas cracker, it's still the wrong card inside the yeah. Christmas cracker. Um, and then, uh, see um just also in this in this scene um the sister is telling abigail what are you doing with with this 
teenage um the Kazrin. son of Sodic. yeah he, right he's he's going to treat he's his father treats people like cattle and he will too in the yep. future you just wait right and and abigail is like oh no he's different and and you can see that at the moment he is different because he's like standing there holding christmas lights helping abigail's brother-in-law dress the uh the fireplace and so right, he's yep. taken this subordinate role he's being helpful he's not like his father at this point right and uh so after the dinner they go back to the the vault to, to seal her back in again and uh, there's this funny moment where kazran is he, he kind of pulls the doctor aside and says i think she's gonna kiss me uh i've never I kissed anyone right. before. what do i do <laughs> And the doctor's like, well, try and be all nervous and rubbish and a bit shaky. Why? Because you're going to be like that anyway. Might as well make it part of the plan. <laughs> yeah, that's great. What? And then when he comes back, uh, one of my uh, all-time favorite lines, um, because Kazrin still needs more bucking up to, to kiss Abigail. He comes back and the doctor says, it's either this or go to your room and try to design a new kind of screwdriver. Don't make my mistakes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Apparently the doctor was rubbish with girls. <laughs> so, uh, and then we get some more. It's uh, Elder Sardik looking at pictures of, uh, at the Statue of Liberty, at Uluru, uh, at uh, Sydney Opera House, Empire State Building, Eiffel Tower, so on and so forth. And then one that says California 1952 on the back. And uh, they're in front of the Hollywood sign. And then we're, uh, at this is the one at Frank Sinatra's house uh, by the swimming pool. Um, and we have this funny moment of the, the doctors running from Marilyn Monroe, who wants to take him off to get married um, while <laughs> Abigail and Catherine are kissing. Uh, and he says, right, fine. Thank you. I'll just go get married then. See how you like that. Marilyn, get your coat. <laughs> He's, yeah. He goes off with Marilyn Monroe and evidently I gets married. That. I love how at the end of the episode, when they call back on that and Marilyn has phoned him on the TARDIS, it's like, that was never a proper chapel. As <laughs> yes. if that was going to invalidate the marriage. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, I like that he accidentally, like, I accidentally got engaged to Marilyn Monroe. Um, so then uh, back at the, the cryo vault, you know, well, where, but in, in, well, the, the reason the doctor is uh, doing all that with Marilyn Monroe is because. Abigail and Kazrin are having a very important conversation where Abigail is very sad and she tells Kazrin something and we and the doctor don't know what it is. Not, well, no, um, that doesn't happen until they're back in the cryo vault. Well, no, they, they have no, the conversation no. by the pool. They have it then, by the pool. But the doctor and, doesn't know. And, they're, and then they kiss because Kazrin is consoling her and the doctor's yeah. walking around being silly at that point. And then when they go back to the cryo vault, right. the, okay. the, the, the Kazrin is saying is, it says, you know, good night to uh, Abigail. And then he tells the doctor, he doesn't want to do this anymore, that it's gotten old. Yep. And if you notice, he takes off the bow tie yes. right. at this moment. So yes. he's distancing himself from the doctor at this point. And it, and we can deduce that what Abigail, because we've been seeing, we have the early, do you need a doctor thing? And mm -hmm. we've been seeing the countdown. And now they've had this climactic conversation. She's got one day left. And we know that Abigail has told Kazrin she's going to die in a day. And that's why he really wants to stop this now, because he doesn't want to face this in a year. And it's her death that undoes every or the knowledge of her death after she's become so important yep. to Kazrin that undoes everything the doctor has done with him to this point. And that's why the picture on the fireplace changes back to his father, because now he's the bitter 
Kazrin again. Life right. is not fair. I fell in love with this woman and now she's going to die and I can't stop it. Right. Yep. And, uh, and and he becomes very bitter towards the doctor for having done all this, because now not only has the doctor messed with his life, but as he says later on, as someone I knew once took a very long time to teach me, life is not fair. So that's the lesson he took away from all of this after he learned yep. about Abigail's impending death. Right. And that's when Amy shows up in his in his uh, drawing room uh, there uh, as a hologram. And uh, she says, I'm the ghost of Christmas present. And then a ghost dressed like that. She's still in the uh, the, the kissogram. Kiss <laughs> and Rory comes in. Hey, eyes off the skirt, man. <laughs> says, yeah. And Catherine says, you turned into a Roman. She says, yeah, I do that. <laughs> so uh, and so what they do is they they have the uh, holograms of the people on board the ship singing Silent Night. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the explanation is, is they're trying to, you know, do what uh, Abigail did, which is to align the ice crystals to the sonic vibrations, et cetera, et cetera. It's we learn later it's not working. But why tell the people any different? You know, give them some hope. Um, and. Uh, so it, this also does not work. The ghost of Christmas present doesn't change anything. Mm-hmm. Um, by the by the way, there's a in conjunction with the uh, ghost of Christmas present scene, there's a scene where we see what happened a year later on the on Christmas Eve when the doctor would have shown up for Abigail's final mm-hmm. day. He's given Kazrin uh, part of the sonic yes. and says, just activate it and I'll hear if you ever need me. And he says, oh, I don't think I'll need you. But he takes the sonic and puts it in a drawer. And um, and then. On the next Christmas Eve, his father has perfected his machine and gives it to Kazrin and says, I've given you the sky and everything beneath it. And Kazrin is so disgusted that he almost calls the doctor. He goes to the drawer where the Sonic is. He picks up the Sonic. He takes it out of the drawer. He's about to use it. And then he sees the doctor standing there outside his window, just egging him on to use it and he doesn't he he's he he can't reject his father with the doctor standing there like i told you so right and he puts the sonic back in the drawer and then we cut to the future on the same drawer which is a really nice time jump of like 30 years or something right um and that's how we get into the christmas of christmas present scene Right. Okay. And then that, so that doesn't work. And then the, so the doctor confronts, um, uh, Sardek, uh, again, you know, after, uh, yeah. um, and, and that doesn't, and the, so the does, people... so does Amy, Amy, right, Amy yeah. says, um, you know, why don't you just let her out? Why don't you just let Abigail out? And he says, how do I choose which day? Yes. You mm-hmm. know, is going to be her last. And, and that's something that is, very human. I mean, if if my wife could live more than one, only one day, and I had to choose which day it is, right. I would dither too. Right. That's, I mean, because as long as she hasn't lived that last day, she's still alive in some sense. She's Schrodinger's so, Abigail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, so she's still in the box. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so I thought that was a very human moment. And then- 
when he's on the spaceship, when they widen the hologram beam, so he now is appearing on the on the spaceship that's crashing. Um, he's like, everybody's got today. Everybody's got to die. Tonight's as good as any other night. How do you choose? Right. Right. And right. so he's really become mentally wrapped up in this inability to choose moments of death and life. And that's what that's where he says to the doctor, all my life, I've been called heartless. My other life, my real life, the one you rewrote. So he's a bit bitter at that. Now look at me. And and what she's saying is I was heartless. Now I'm so uh, broken hearted that I can't make right. a choice. So I'm just as in the same situation. And the doctor says better a broken heart than no heart at all, which is somewhat a, of a of a trite saying. Yes, yeah. I like Sardik's response. Oh, it's awesome. He He just says. Try it. You try it. Yeah. And for someone mm -hmm. who is brokenhearted, and I mean, that totally rings true. Yes. Don't give me your trite cliches about better a broken heart. It hurts like hell. And frankly, you know, the doctor should I'm, know better. <laughs> yeah. And well, that's one thing I'm kind of glad that uh, Stephen Moffat didn't do is have the doctor have some kind of, you know, response of, well, I watched my whole planet die. Is that enough for you? You know, something like yeah. that. Right. Yeah. No, it gives Sardic. Just left it. Just yeah. left it. He gives Sardik the, the the upper hand in that one, and which is good. Um, he doesn't take the easy way out. Um, and then Sardic, we get the awesome twist. Yeah, and he, well, yes. he also says he's not afraid of the future of dying alone and cold and afraid. You know, like mm -hmm. are you going to show me the future? That's this is you know part of that twist, the the Christmas future. Yes, I'm not afraid of the future. Uh, you know, I know I'm going to die alone or cold and afraid. And that's when young Karzan comes out and says, "No, no." You you are the ghost of Christmas future. And he pulls out young Karzan who sees old Karzan. He sees his father in old Karzan. You know what I mean? He, yeah. he thinks it's his dad. Yeah. The way and, they do the reveal is um, so, you know, the doctor has indicated he's the ghost of Christmas future. Now he's he's going to yep. show you the future. And Kazrin dares him to do it and says, well, show me the future. And the doctor says, I am showing you. I'm showing you right now. And then we realize he's showing young Kazrin yes. the future of who he's going to become. Right. And young Kazrin steps out of the fog and and is aghast at his future mm -hmm. self. And he then and his future self. Well, then, he doesn't re realize at first that it is. He thinks it's his, his dad. Yeah. 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 Right. He thinks it's his dad. And and older Kazrin becomes so enraged, he almost slaps young Kazrin again. He almost becomes and his own father. <laughs> he does. Yes. And he, yeah. but he remembers when his father slapped him and he stops himself and breaks down in tears and hugs young Kazrin. And it's this awesome emotional moment. And we have for once, no Blinovich limitation effects causing sparks. Exactly. <laughs> when you, right. when you cross your own timeline physically. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and so we have, um, you know, the, they they decide you know this is the time to save you know to the the day that that Abigail has to live live the moment, and um, he needs Abigail to sing well, to save and, the and ship. The, and the reason they have to do that is because they try to use the sky machine to fix things, and they can't right because it Kazrin has now changed too much, and the isomorphic biometric controls on it won't recognize him anymore. Because his thought patterns are so different. And so that's why they then have to go and get Abigail so she can sing the problem in the sky away. They're going right. to hook her up to a big loudspeaker with the sonic screwdriver and let her voice do the magic. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it has something to do with the, the, the half of the sonic is still in the sky and the shark and the other half 
is yep. is with them. Uh, I like when she when she, um, Abigail says to to Sardik, you know, um, look at you. You're so old now. I think you've waited a bit too long and yeah. hoarding my days like an old miser. Which you know, he was. Yes. Yep. Uh, um, beautiful. And, and she had. She then has this great line, this awesome, hopeful, but tragic line. We've had so many Christmas Eves, Kazrin. I think it's time for Christmas Day. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Um, and then uh, the, she sings this song, which I mentioned at the top. You know, when you're alone, silence is all you see. That's one of the lyrics. And, and you mentioned right. silence several times throughout it. It's mm-hmm. very interesting uh, because... In the next Clear season, foreshadowing. Yes, the the silence yeah. is going to be the the big the big bad guy in the next season. Um, yeah, you know, unfortunately, they never really pay that off. Yeah. The whole silence will fall thing. They they rush it too quick at the end. Yeah, yeah. it was interesting though. You know, going back and watching it, that song. You know, they call it Abigail's song. That's the title that it's used. You don't see it anywhere in the the show, but if you get the soundtrack, that's what right. it's called. And. You hear it just like the doctor's theme. You know, I, the, I am the doctor that Murray Gold is so famous for. Yeah. Every time Abigail was on screen, that song is there. Right. That's her theme throughout the her entire episode. Yeah. Um, so, it was, you know, of course, Murray Gold was Gold is famous for being able to do that, for bringing in these light motifs and, you know, throughout the entire episode. Right. Uh, so that very. So that song comes up repeatedly. You hear it kind of in the background. And uh, it's and we have, of course, the obligatory um, when it's a Christmas episode, it has to snow. And so the singing resonates in the clouds and causes them to snow. Yep. Uh, and then the, the doctor is building snowmen everywhere. He can't help himself. 20 of them. <laughs> Which <laughs> foreshadows the, uh, the a, another future episode, Christmas yep. episode of the no, killer which snowmen. Is nowhere near as good. I, right. I love Amy's line, though, on the snowmen of of you might mistake that for a real person. And I'm not uh, my uh, mistake uh, for that for a real person that, and the snowman too. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, let's see, they. Uh, I'm trying to think. So of, Amy, Amy, and Rory get down safe and, and everything. Right. They're going to go off on the next leg of their honeymoon, and uh, the doctor has returned young Kazarin to his own time, and <clears throat> older Kazarin and Abigail have the. Are, are drawing down the shark and they also have the, the doctor has left them the, the buggy that they had previously mm-hmm. attached it to. And he tells Amy and Rory that he thinks that um, older Kazrin is going to be going on a ride with Abigail. And um, we have this moment of, of hope and foreshadowing where the doctor is about to get on the TARDIS and he's reflecting on where he is in his own journey. And he says halfway out of the dark. Right. Which mm-hmm. ties in to the overall story arc that we have with the doctor since the time war. He's been in a very yes. dark place and now he's halfway out of that. Yeah. And um, it ties into the themes of hope and sorrow in this episode. And then he gets in the TARDIS and goes off. And the last shot we have is of uh, Kazarin and Abigail flying through the sky joyously in the shark buggy. On Christmas Day, it being their last Christmas Day, it's a moment of joy and sorrow, and it is so beautiful. If you tear up a little bit, that is totally justified. And, <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's it, the dust the dust in here, you know, yeah. it's just kind of dry and dusty, you know. I got some snow in my face. Yeah. Uh, it, it's also earlier Stephen Moffat, so he, even though we don't see the death, we know it happens. Right. There's and a great- he doesn't a great, pull it back. 
there's a great little line there where Amy says, of course, it'll be their last day together, won't it? And the doctor says, everything has got to end sometime. Otherwise, nothing would ever get started. Well, that's actually not true. But <laughs> right, but, but certainly <laughs> everything has got to end sometime. And that's yeah, and that's I mean, and, and so you have to start in order to get, you know, to get to the end of something, you know, in order yeah. to have an ending, you have to start something. And I think that's I think that's kind of what Moffat was trying to say there. It's that you have to you have to be willing to go to the end of something uh, by starting in the first place. And then we get Roy saying, oh, by the way, someone called, uh, called Marilyn is ringing the phone. Uh, it sounds like the Marilyn. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so that was that was good. All right. So uh, that that brings us to the end of this episode uh, of, of Fi- final Who. final comment for me. One of the yeah. things I've often said is so Doctor Who is really largely almost always been science fantasy rather yep. than science mm-hmm. fiction. Um, and in the Stephen Moffat era, it became not just science fantasy, but science fairy tale. Right. Yeah. And um, sometimes the science fairy tale didn't work effectively. Like I thought the Wedding of River Song was science fairy tale, you know, with all those history mashups happening all at once. It just made no sense. But mm-hmm. this episode, uh, Christmas Carol, is science fairy tale done right. This is really good. I yeah. love this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Any agree. last thoughts, Father Corey, that? Uh, the only only one I have is it, it you know when when Sardis was a uh, uh, Kazrin was rejecting the Doctor you know didn't want to give up that last day of with Abigail he says Christmas is for kids right you know and that that I mean that that's such an interesting view of again this is the secular view of Christmas you know what we understand right. Christmas being about is not just for kids but it's the secular right. trappings that have attached themselves. But it really does view Christmas as just another fairy tale. You know, yeah, it's the it's the you know, it's the winter solstice. And so we celebrate because the days are getting longer and eventually it's going to get warmer. And, you know, it's a fairy tale. But, you know, that that's that's, you know, not the Christian view. The Christian view is Christmas is for all of us because, of course, it's celebrating the birth of our savior. Right. Right. And and that's a good note to end on, because uh, as as we said, this is Christmas Eve. And uh, we can reflect on the the great birth of of our Savior and the great gift that He yep. is. Um, and Amen. So it's a it's a wonderful. It, it I mean, it's nice to to have fun with these uh, these Christmas stories, um, but it's always good to remember, you know, to go back to what it's really about. Um, maybe someday we'll get a Christmas special that uh, where he goes back to Bethlehem, and that that could be very interesting indeed. Yeah. Um, well, but maybe the doctor interacts with. Not. Well, it would be fun if he was sort of around the 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 the, the, the nativity itself, like like interacting with oh. shepherds or something. Uh, oh sure, I mean I, it's totally possible to yeah. write a good Doctor Who story set in Bethlehem. <laughs> Whether I they just don't think not. the current team is capable of writing it. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. I, I'll hold out hope for that. Uh, maybe there'll be a little fan, uh, a fanfic on that. So, what do you think, uh, listeners, of this eleventh Doctor Christmas special, the the Christmas Carol, or what we had to uh, to say about it? Is it one of your favorites? Um, so, let us know by going to sqpn.com slash Doctor Who or to the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Find the link to this episode there and leave us a comment. Or you can send us some feedback uh, via email to Who at sqpn.com. Please remember to like Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook, retweet us on Twitter, leave us comments, subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, tune in your favorite podcast app or on YouTube where you should hit the bell to get notifications when we post a new episode. And 
above all, share the podcast with your friends to help us grow the community and reach more listeners. It's Christmas. And so give your friends a gift of a fun new podcast. <laughs> so we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 13th Doctor's New Year's Day special. Uh, that's coming up next week. And until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom, and Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you so much, Dom. Uh, Merry Christmas, everyone, and God bless us, everyone. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. Right. This is going to be fun. This is Dom Bettinelli again. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and that you'll help us keep producing the podcast you love. Thank you for your generosity. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give.